four people are running for Madison School Board this spring, but we only get to pick between two of them. That's because Madison requires candidates for school board to run for a specific seat on the board, even though that seat will represent the whole city, not a specific neighborhood or one side of town. So this spring, two incumbents are running unopposed for school board. They get a free pass, but the two new candidates seeking office have to face off in the only race that voters will get to decide. Almost half the seats are up for the Madison School Board, but people only have a choice in one seat. There's a better way to elect school board members, Phil, and we're going to talk about it today on Center Stage, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the Sensible Center of Wisconsin Politics. We're going to talk about it with Wayne Strong, the former Madison cop and Southside football coach who ran three times for the school board in the past, losing by just a couple hundred votes less than a percentage point in 2013. Wayne is a great guy. Uh, he ran several times, should have won because he he's the kind of person we want on our school boards here in Madison, but unfortunately did not. Wayne also is a member of the Wisconsin State Journal's community editorial board, and he was the inspiration for this Sunday's editorial, One Big Pool of Candidates is Best. You can read the editorial at go.madison.com slash school vote. I'm Scott Milford. I'm the editorial page editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. And with Wayne here today, we are three-fifths of the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board. That's like over half the board. You always were good at math, Phil. <laughs> Wayne Strong, welcome to Center Stage with Milford and Hands. We have thoroughly enjoyed having you on our community editorial board, and we've learned a lot. That includes what it's like to run for school board. What a pleasure this has been to serve with you guys. And I can't tell you how much in past years, how much I've appreciated your endorsements. When we just look at the issues of what is really germane and what's having the most serious impact on some of our kids, I'm glad to see that you all agree with where I stand on that issue in terms of addressing some of the disparities and making sure that our schools are, are safe environments for our kids to learn in. It's been a pleasure serving on the board so far. I think it's a great opportunity for me to expand and to learn from you all and to share ideas. And I appreciate that you guys appreciate the fact that I bring a different perspective to the board. So I hope to continue to to add that to the board. You've added an editorial to Sunday's newspaper. Let's talk about how school board members in Madison are elected. Our editorial advocates for all of the candidates to run in one pool, one big group of candidates. And if there's two seats open, you take the top two vote getters. If there's three seats open, you take the top three vote getters. That's not how it works now. Instead, you have to run for a seat, even though the seat isn't tied to any part of town. And the result oftentimes is that incumbents get a free pass and voters get less choice and input on the decisions that the school board makes. As you stress to our editorial board, Wayne, having candidates run against each other rather than as a group, it also adds to the divisiveness where you're not just running for the school board, you're running against another specific individual. My previous races, all three of them actually, it seemed like I was being pitted against Dean Loomis and Mike Flores and Nikki Vandermeulen. And that to me should not have been the issue. The issue should have been where we stand on issues and not forcing people to pick between the two of us. How they do it in Racine is if they've got four seats open and you've got six candidates, well, the top four candidates get those seats. 
I just think that it would just eliminate so much controversy and competitiveness between the candidates. And I think it would encourage people to run because it's like, well, I'm not running against a particular person. Yeah, I think you've got a good point there, especially since our seats aren't assigned by areas of the region. You know, they're sort of just arbitrary which seat is which. And sometimes, you know, powerful incumbents just sort of hold down a seat and people are scared to run against them. I know Mary Burke, who was very wealthy and, and, and was able to fund her own campaigns. She was, she was hard. It was hard to challenge her when she was on the school board. And so it often pitted people in other seats against each other who might've been like-minded on lots of issues. And maybe people would have preferred them over Mary Burke, but there was, she just had a lock on that seat for so long. And that's another thing too, with, you know, having to raise X amount of dollars and stuff like that. I, I just think that that would certainly eliminate so much of that. We're not getting a lot of competition. 11 of the last 24 Madison school board seats up for election have been unopposed. That's almost half over the last decade. We endorsed doubling the annual pay for school board members to $8,000 several years ago, but that didn't seem to help draw more candidates to the job. Maybe the problem is we pit two people against each other rather than having an open field of candidates. That's what is really needed here. This would be such a huge benefit to our district if we were to run school board races like that. And I think it would increase the number of people who would want to run because I wouldn't want to run against Ali. I wouldn't want to run against Savion. I wouldn't want to really run against anybody on the board. But if the selection or the election process is, a process has changed so that you're not running against a, a person, you're running on the issues. And, you know, if voters like what you say, uh, they can vote for you. And, and, and if they like what, you're, what other people are saying, they can vote for them. It gives people more of a choice. State Journal reporter Chris Rickert did a deep dive on this issue back in 2019. He found that Madison's current system dates to the 1980s when state lawmakers stepped in to implement a city council-sponsored plan to move from at-large elections to the current system. The council's plan, this is really interesting, had been overwhelmingly rejected in 1978 by the school board and in a citywide referendum. Uh, But nonetheless, today, state law mandates that any Wisconsin school district with a city whose population is between 150,000 and 500,000 That's just Madison. Madison is the only city that falls into that category. Madison must elect board members to at-large numbered seats. And Chris said at the time that it's likely unique among school board elections in Wisconsin. He couldn't find another one that did that. And the only other place he could find it across the country was in Texas. So it's pretty unusual (laughs) to have a system this way where you're not assigned a geography in the city, but you still have to run at large for a specific seat against one candidate. Is there any rationale for why that was? Was it supposed to increase diversity on the school board or what was it? What was the goal? Part of the reason that proponents in Madison 40 years ago wanted the current system was that they thought it would be a way to increase minority representation on the board. But decades later, the system was partly to blame for keeping two minority candidates off the board. You may recall that in 2013, Ananda Morelli finished third in a primary for seat five, only for the winning candidate to leave town and drop out of the race. 
That meant even though she finished a close third, Ananda's name couldn't be on the ballot for the general election. If we elected all the candidates in just one pool, that wouldn't be an issue. But it's worth noting that in 2019, Ananda did win a seat onto the school board. That was six years later. There's a lot of diversity on Madison's school board when it comes to gender or when it comes to to, to the racial representation. What there isn't a lot of diversity of is ideology and thought process about how to run schools. It seems like it's a very progressive board that all sort of has one way of thinking about the approach to education. Is that accurate or is that is that just my view from the uh, middle-class white guy from uh, near West Side? No, Madison is very liberal to begin with, right? And some would say that we're liberal to a point, but when we look at extreme disparities that we have in terms of out-of-school suspension rates, graduation rates, all those things, we have these huge gaps. And so we're liberal, but yet we haven't really made a whole lot of progress in terms of reducing what I think has been most detrimental to students of color in this district, particularly African-American students who lead the way in out-of-school suspensions and have the lowest graduation rates. All these things are problematic for us. And so I think on the one hand, yes, we are liberal and progressive, but when it really gets down to getting at some of the root causes of, of what's happening uh, to the, the African-American children, particularly in our schools, in terms of, of poverty and food security issues and homelessness and things like that, we really haven't really seemed to make a whole lot of progress there. And I think that there have been a number of efforts underway, underway, a great deal of endeavors that we've done. But there's, we still, for some reason, are just treading water when it comes to reducing the disparities that plague our district and have for years. Diversity, representation, and leadership in Madison has flourished, at least in terms of public positions. The Madison City Council now is majority people of color. The city council president is a man of color. The school superintendent is an African-American. The entire school board is either women or people of color. The police chief and sheriff are African-American men. I think diversity of leadership in the city, if that was the reason why they did this back in the 80s, it doesn't seem like that's so much the issue today. Yes, I agree. But I think that the one thing that, that I would point out there, Scott, and, and those are all excellent points, you're right. We've got African-Americans in, in a lot of leadership roles here, but these are relatively new people, right? I mean, these are, yeah. you know, uh, 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 Sheriff Barrett is new to his role. Uh, we've got a new, these are all new. So there's going to take some time, I think, for us to really make the kinds of inroads that we need to see just so that people in general and as a whole can have a better quality of life. And it shouldn't be about income. It shouldn't be about how much money a family has or doesn't have. It should be about what we're doing to make certain that our schools, which are really one of the driving forces behind determining quality of life issues in our neighborhoods. And so if we've got strong schools, we've got strong neighborhoods. And I think that people uh, as a whole will will benefit from that. But until I think we really continue to get at some of the root causes of why our kids are struggling in school, then I don't think we're ever really going to make any real progress. And it, and it doesn't matter what the person's race is who is in charge of it. What matters is what policies 
are we putting in the place that help address those issues and alleviate the barriers that are standing in the way of all of our kids being successful in our schools? That's a really good point, Wayne. And by the way, if you ever run for school board again, I think I just heard you say your next slogan, strong schools, strong neighborhoods, Wayne Strong for school board. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. I've actually, believe it or not, even after three losses, I still have people who say, I voted for you. And if you ever run again, I'll vote for you. And boy, what the last time I think I got over 30,000 votes. So that's a lot of people. And I'm just glad that there's so many people who hear what I have to say about how we can really address the real systemic issues that affect our kids every day in our schools. And now with the pandemic, I'm hearing and I'm seeing uh, my son is a cross-categorical teacher over at Blackhawk Middle School. And we talk about this all the time. It's like our kids are just struggling in so many different areas and so many of their needs are not being met. Either the, the families are, are not able to meet them or in some cases are just unwilling and just don't have the resources to really get the kids what they need at home so that they can be successful in the school. Right. And, and in most cases, I think it is a, more of a case of just the inability to really provide this, the kinds of resources that kids need at home, uh, because that to me is where learning starts. They need that at home in order to them for, for them to be successful in school. It always drives me nuts in Madison where, I mean, somebody like you runs for school board three times and can't get elected. I mean, here you are as somebody who an African-American father who's raised two kids in the district. Who's, who's actually worked in school buildings, understands these schools inside and out. And for some reason, Madison says somebody else is better to, run, to be on the school board than Wayne Strong. It drives me nuts every year. Phil, thank you. The, you look at the data, the number clearly tells us which kids are not successful in our district. And take, take race out of the equation, guys. Let's just talk about these, these are widgets. You got widget A, widget B, widget C. Widget C has these high rates of suspensions, high rates of expulsions and low rates of graduation and low test scores. And let's look at the the issues and not so much the race of the kids. And I think if we take race out of it, I think that that will sort of take the blinders off so that, okay, we're addressing the, the issue. So these kids are most impacted by it. But just because a, a person is poor or comes from a poor background or a poor family doesn't mean that they have the inability to learn. And I think sometimes our kids get sort of pigeonholed that way. It's like, oh, well, you live in this zip code, so you must be a kid who, who's going to struggle or you have these deficiencies right away, right? So it's looked at as a negative. And we don't look at the strengths that each kid brings to the school because we're looking at their socioeconomic status. The only other reason I've heard for keeping the system where it is, where you have to run against somebody else to get on the school board, is that the winners get at least 50% of the vote. We don't do that in presidential elections. <laughs> True. Although they usually get close to 50. The point being that if you have five people run and you take the top four, you might have somebody get on to the school board with 18% of the electorate or something like that. It doesn't really bother me. What were T.J. Mertz's numbers when he won that seat in that three-way primary? And I think he probably only had 20 or 30 percent of the vote, but it was enough to come in second place. And then he got, he got added to the board. Nothing against T.J. Mertz, just as an example of, of somebody who probably had less than, you know, 50 percent of the vote to get elected to the school board because somebody else dropped out of the race. The numbers tell us one thing, and that's important. I'm not saying I'm not negating that, but I, but I really think it's the substance of the candidate. It's the substance of the issues that they're bringing forth, their commitment to um, 
to being an advocate for our students, for our, our staff, for our teachers, for our district, right? I mean, it, to me, that's what's most important. And so, yeah, I, I guess the numbers thing is what it is, but I think instead of focusing on the numbers, we should just focus on more of the issues and what that candidate is bringing to the table that's going to be of the best benefit to our students. I don't think if 30% of the Madison population has a candidate that they think was do a great job for school because they have a certain philosophy, I don't think we should discount that 30% of the population. I think that's I think it's a much better system to allow a wider swath of a plurality of, of people to, and perspectives to get onto the school board. We don't have to have a majority rule system of, of elections. If you have three open seats and four people are running, well, every voter gets to pick three people. So probably at least two of those people are going to have 50%. I'm not sure I buy the math on that argument. If we're going to have a school board and we get to pick them and we're not putting them on a specific region or a specific neighborhood to represent them, it's citywide. Why not let everybody pick citywide the best ones that they want? And it sounds like that will require a change in state law. But I think it's something worth pursuing. And if, for example, some Democratic lawmakers from the Madison area wanted to push that as an issue in the legislature, I don't know why even Robin Voss would oppose it. What does he care how we elect people for our school board? Actually, probably, Scott, to be more successful, a couple of, of uh, nut job conservatives in Madison pushed it on the legislature. Then, it, then the legislature would do it in a heartbeat just to screw over Madison. I just think it would be so much better for our district, guys. I, 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 I can't stress it enough. And hopefully it's something that the legislature, legislature will take a look at because there is a need to change. And in this current system we have, you've only got one candidate that's running for some of these seats. And so how much of a choice is that giving us? It's unfortunate that people don't feel like they want to run or because they don't, they don't want to run against a certain, a certain person or individual. But I think for us to alleviate that again is to, 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 to change the way we're, we're electing our, our school board officials. We're in a new era of the way we talk about school boards and what we expect of our education system. I mean, Back in the 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s, a lot of these school board races kind of broke down into who's the candidate who's pro-teachers uni union and who's the candidate who's anti-teachers union. And maybe it's because of after, because after Act 10, the unions don't have as much power as they did. But it seems like there's so many more issues at our school than who's pro-union and who's anti-union. And that requires a greater diversity in thought than just two candidates up for one seat. So when I ran the first time in 2013, that was an issue. It was just after Act 10 was passed. And so when I was doing my interview with MTI, a question that was asked of me was whether or not I signed the petition for the recall. I thought about it. I was like, well, what does that have with, with me being on the school board? And I, and I really felt that it was an invasion of my privacy because I don't think it's anybody anything that anybody needed to know. And frankly, while I opposed what Scott Walker was doing with the unions, elections have consequences. He won. And now because he's doing something politically that we don't agree with, now we want him out of office. Well, people put him in office. People voted for him. I signed the petition only because my daughter asked me to. That was the reason I signed it. She was working for Mark Polcan at the time. And, and she said, Dad, you should really sign this. And I was like, well, okay, sweetheart, if you think I should, I will. I, so I did. But I think had she not approached me, I don't think I would have signed it because, again, well, one, it didn't work. But two, again, elections have consequences. And if someone has a policy that we, we differ with or we disagree with, now we want them out of office. 
Well, that's not to me, at least that's not democracy because he was voted in. Let's wait until his term is up and now we'll get him out. And we did. But I, I just didn't think that signing the petition for the recall was any real significance. But yet it was, I guess, one thing to show. Well, yeah, I'm support. I'm supportive of unions, which I've always been supportive of unions because I was a police officer for many years. And I'm part of a union. So but that's sort of those kinds of things, I think, can be used uh, as a nuance to separate the candidates that they're going to endorse. And that's a part of the game. But I think, Wayne, my theory is you could, you didn't get elected to the school board, although you almost did, because you're a cop. And I think in Madison, even though we have one of the most community-oriented and professional police departments in the country, I think a lot of people in Madison look at all cops with the same sort of broad view that they don't like them. And I think when it came to running for schools, even though you'd been in schools as a school resource officer, I suspect that didn't help you in an election in Madison. I don't know if you guys remember Alex Olson. Alex Olson was a detective on the Madison Police Department back in 2007, 2008. She ran for school board. She she didn't win. But then Gloria ran and Gloria won. So Gloria was a cop. Mm-hmm. She got elected. So I don't know. Well, Gloria won is a super sensational person. So I understand why she won. But for me, it was like, yeah, that was sort of the the knock against me, I guess, is that I was a cop. But I'm a lot of things, you know, I'm a parent Mm -hmm. of two kids in the district. I'm a husband. I'm a, you know, I I do all these other things. But that label of being a cop certainly didn't help. Uh, In fact, I was was talking to uh, a young lady here in town. I don't want to mention her name, but I was at an event at MATC. This was back in about 2014 when I was running with uh, Mike Flores. And this young lady who's very popular in Madison, she saw me and we knew each other. And I think we were walking out together and talking. And I think we took a picture together or something like that. Well, some people saw her and she said that after she was seen with me, and she may have put our picture on Facebook, she said she had a number of people that unfriended her. Wow. And I thought, my, are you serious? Hmm. That's just how deep it goes. And I, I'm really trying to understand this dislike that people have. I, I understand on a national level, and maybe there's there so many reasons why, you know, people oppose cops and cops in schools, but every community is not the same. And I think sometimes we get broad brushed like that, like you were saying, but I supported cops in schools because I was a neighbor. I was a, a resource officer. I was a neighborhood officer. Many of the kids that I worked with at West High School when I was there uh, were kids that I knew in the in the um, neighborhood that I worked in. So it was a natural fit for me. And so many of those kids would say, hey, you know, um, I've never seen a black police officer before. They, I had a lot of kids who would say that to me. And and a lot of kids would come to me and talk to me about things that they didn't feel comfortable talking to some of the staff about. And that's the relationship that so many of our really good EROs that we had over the years or SROs now have been have built with these kids and we probably would have had the the contract renewed and i'm going to say that derek chauvin is is the reason why i think that there's no cops in schools in madison i'm going to go out on a limb and say that because of the incident in minneapolis that was the catalyst i think that's like we don't want cops we don't want any cop around us period and that's the mentality that a lot of people have. They just don't like cops. They, you know, we don't want no, I've heard this expression, we don't want no cops. And I'm like, okay, well, the unfortunate reality is, is there's always going to be cops in schools. It's just a matter of how they're responding. Is it going to be a cop who comes in off the street, who doesn't know the kids, doesn't know the staff, doesn't know the environment of the school, the culture of the school? 
and coming in and just writing tickets and that's it? Or do you want someone in the school has, who has built a long-term relationship with staff and students? And when I went around the last time I ran, guys, and I talked to every school I went to, East West Memorial and, and La Follette, every I had so many staff people saying, we support, we want cops here. We, we, we like the relationship that we have with our SRO. He is an integral part of our staff. Great respect among the students. But, you know, we got him out. And so I think it's a loss for the district. And people say, well, we, we know we need more social workers and we need more this and that. Well, there's a different relationship there. I think that our SROs have been able to establish over the years with our students, even more so than, than social workers and, 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 and not to knock social workers or anything like that. But I'm just saying it, it's, it's a different relationship that students have with police that are in the schools that are there to work with those students. They're not there to be a part of a, an oppressive system that is writing citations and arresting kids. They're there as a resource to the students and to the staff. And that's where the emphasis continues, needs to continue to, to be. As we dove deep into the SRO issue several years, over the last couple of years, I, I sort of the, the general refrain I hear from staff or from students or people that are post SROs is cops are bad. We shouldn't have them in schools, but our guy in our school is great. And I think that was sort of the typical message throughout Madison was that everyone personally loved their own SRO and they were doing really good work individually but there were still some people that thought the whole system was evil and corrupt and then had it to go and had to go no matter how beneficial and wonderful the SRO was individually. Well this spring there's three seats that are up for election. Two of them will have only one person running in those seats, but there is one race that will be endorsing as a Wisconsin State Journal editorial board in. And we're going to have a Zoom call with those candidates later this month. But yeah, if it Rather than having two free passes and then one race pitting two people against each other this spring, if we were to change the school board system of elections, right now we would have four people running for three seats and voters could pick the three that they like the best. It's hard for me to imagine that most people wouldn't prefer that system. Yeah, I, I mean, the one thing, Scott, is that we only have to do one meeting, which is easier for us as an editorial board, but it's bad for democracy in general. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Phil, I, I, man, you're spot on. I was just it, it is bad for democracy because voters are not g- being given all of the choices that they should have. And when we we're stifling democracy by, I think, the current way we're running our school board system uh, elections, it's just not good for democracy. Our theme music is by Tube Tester.